Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. The scripture reading is from Luke 2, verses 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen which were just as they had heard, had been told. The word of the Lord. Good morning and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. This is our Sunday service, the online version. This is the Sunday before Christmas and today we finally get to one of those traditional Christmas texts that are often read during Advent season. And the reason why I've stayed away from those traditional texts is because even if you haven't grown up in a Christian home, you've probably heard some parts of this story about a baby and a manger and Mary and shepherds and um, angels. And the reason why I've shied away from that is because here's what happens when you hear a story over and over and over again. It tends to lose its power. It tends to lose its surprise. And uh, the effects on you are diminished. And that's a problem because this story was designed for you not to just shrug your shoulders at and go, well, I've heard it before. Luke has done uh, amazing work to gather eyewitness accounts and uh, evidence and historical facts and all these things because he's presenting it to us to say this happened. And because it happened, it matters. In fact, for the whole rest of the book of Luke, if it didn't happen, none of the rest of it matters. But if it did, it changes how we live our lives. Go to the text. It says here in verse 11 that a Savior has been born to you. And you say, okay, what kind of Savior? It says the Messiah. And what Luke, therefore, is saying, folks, this is it. This is the single greatest moment in history. And if that happens, uh, everything changes. You have to take it or leave it. But if you take it, then you can fear not, as the text says. Fear not. Do not be afraid in verse 10. When the angel shows up, 
the first pronouncement, the first thing that's needed is that to be communicated was to fear not. So let's work out the implications quickly in our in our our time right now. Let's just do two points here. Let's look at our normal state of fear. And then what does it look like to live without fear? Our normal state of fear. And then what does it look like to live without fear? So first, our normal state of fear. Why does this angel need to say, do not be afraid in verse 10? And I think the answer is because, as the text says, these people were afraid. The word was terrified given here. And in Greek, the literal translation is feared a great fear. That's a double emphatic to, to be completely lost, to be totally despondent. Now process that for a second. Why does an angel need to say, fear not, in this text? I think the answer is because that's what normally happens when you hit an angel. Exodus 3, Moses shows up, burning bush, angel in the bush. And what does the angel say? Don't come any closer, you'll die. There's a reason to be afraid. But this one says, do not fear. And I think the reason why is because the rules have changed. That the normal reasons to be afraid, to to not be able to to approach the angel, the reason for the normal barriers between the divine and the finite are, are over. And because those rules have changed, this angel can say, that's good news. That's what the text says. Fear not. Why? Because I bring you good news. And a Greek there is the word evangelon, which is where we get the word evangelism, which means to bring good news. All right, so uh, the question then is, who gets to have this good news? Right? Who gets to have it? Was it Rome that got to have the good news? Was it uh, the place of political power? No, that's not it. Was it uh, um, Athens where the kind of Uh, intellectual power was? No. Was it Jerusalem, where the local religious power was? No. That's not where the angel originally comes. It says in verse 8 that the good news gets to come to shepherds. And you say, okay, why does that matter? Because shepherds were grisly people back then. They're grisly people today. They lived on the outskirts of society. They roamed where there was no civilization. And these anti-social individuals, these outcasts, the, the king of the universe, in these angels as ambassadors, comes to these people and proclaims it to them. Why come to them first? I think the answer is if he came to any other people group, if he came to the people in Rome, you and I today might feel like we have to be politically connected to be in. If he came to the people of Athens, we might think that we have to be intellectually uh, connected to be in. But because he came to the absolute outsiders, what he's essentially, what's being said here is anybody can access this. It doesn't matter how high or how low. It doesn't matter how respected or how forgotten you feel. It doesn't matter how in or how out you are. You can access this and no longer be afraid. And so here's the point. Why does that matter? Because the normal human state of all of our lives is to be afraid is to live in fear. And so the first step of fear not is actually first to admit that we normally are afraid. And I think the reason why we are is because we haven't let the Christmas message actually impact us and settle as a truth in our hearts. And I think the reason why is because we haven't figured out the origins of that fear. 
So let's figure out the origins. Go back to the first time fear is mentioned in the Bible. That's in Genesis 3. Previously, Adam, Eve, they had perfect relationship with God. They had perfect uh, um, presence of God. And then it says, at some level, at some point, they thought, God's not going to give me what I need. Essentially, they challenged God's goodness, and they had to go get it on their, on their own. And so they ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil because they didn't trust him anymore. And it says immediately they hid. Immediately they went into hiding. And when, when challenged, Adam confessed. He said, because I was afraid. Right? He felt naked. He felt exposed, not just physically, but mentally and spiritually. And so he spent his time trying to cover himself, make himself feel better, uh, make himself feel protected. And that's why, till, to this day, every single human is doing the exact same thing. We look to other things to cover ourselves, to give ourselves safety, to feel better about who we are. That's why you're looking to your job and money and houses and health uh, to, to, to feel better. Because these are safety nets that we think will make us feel better, but then when they're threatened. And by the way, if you're looking to anything created, then that thing can be taken away. Which therefore, that's why we're always afraid, because these things are always being threatened. Take your job away from me. Ah, I'm scared. Take your health away. In a pandemic, I'm scared. What if uh, the things that I'm looking to in life for my validity and for my safety are gone? I'm scared. And I'm crushed. Right? Because jobs come and go. People come and go. Family members come and go. And it leads to this fear. Um, when it comes to clinical anxiety, medical anxiety, that's a real thing. If uh, you have that, I highly recommend seeking professional help. Um, those things are real. I, I, th I think there's also in every human a, a low-level, everyday anxiety. There's a kind of non-clinical but still present anxiety that is, that is in every single one of us. It's that feeling of being discovered. It's that feeling of, of feeling like you're a fraud that you won't have enough, that things won't get better. And those fears are rooted in, a, in not trusting that God is going to give us what we actually need. And so we're anxious at some level because God, we don't think God's actually good. That's why we fear the loss. Um, when I was with college students as a college pastor and I would talk to non-Christians and they were considering their faith and considering becoming Christians, at some point, they would always kind of get to a place where they're asking the question, is it really worth it? Is, it, is, this, is this change in my life worth it? If I'm going to have to change my friends and, and, and what I spend my time on and what do I do, um, if I give myself fully to God, maybe I'll lose. And I think some of us listening today, I think we have to ask ourselves, have, we need to challenge ourselves if we really committed ourselves to, to Him. Because I think for a lot of us, we... we I think in a lot of us, we worry that if we did, if we fully bought in, if we fully gave ourselves to him, we might lose. I, some of you, you, you might believe intellectually, but you're not believing personally. You haven't fully committed your time. Uh, maybe you've committed time to watch this, but have you committed your talents? Have you committed your treasures? Have you committed your heart? And, and why is that? I think the reason why we haven't is because I worry if I don't have my talents uh, for myself to, to do my life my, for my free time if I don't have my treasures if I don't have enough 
I'm going to have as much fun. I'm going to have as much money. See, these are the things that are being asked of us. And I think that's all rooted in that fear. These shepherds were afraid. Go to the, what was at the heart of their problem? They saw the blinding light and they were afraid, but it wasn't the light. It was what the light represented. We're told that this was God's glory represented in a 3D experiential sense. They were at once confronted with the fact that there was a God and it wasn't them. Just like when we're confronted, right? There is a God, but I'm not him. He's light, he's real, he's present. And if he's in your life, it means the things that we thought were important won't be as important. I think a lot of us don't want that. I think a lot of us are afraid of that move. I thought winning was the most important, but actually his presence is more important. I thought being comfortable and providing for my family was the most important, but it's actually seeing his face. Uh, Christmas then is asking us to draw near to him, but by doing that, what it will mean, mean implicitly is to give up the things that we, th- that we were looking to these things, things of safety, but which is why we're actually afraid in the first place. To come close to his holiness. And if you do, I think what will happen at the same time is your fears will get more revealed in the process. But let's, let's process them, right? Come on, let's do it right now. Let's go through the list. What are some of those fears? I think some of us have the fear that, uh, that we're not enough. At some level, there's, there, there might be a, a low self-esteem aspect. And what we see in this text to kind of confront that fear is God tends to pick uh, people who, in the greater story of the world, they weren't that significant. These people were nobodies in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere, and yet he started his kingdom with them. And that's how it always works. Open up your Bible. Go to every character. Sarah, right? In, in, In the very beginning, in Genesis, who was she? She was too old to have a son. David, too young to be king. Moses, uh, too much of a denier to lead God's people. Jonah, who ran away from God. Jacob, who wrestled God. I mean, hopefully you're getting the point, and yet God uses every single one of them. And that should be so heartening for you, because if he could use them, he can use you. If he can meet them, he can meet you. If he can change them, he can change you. That means we don't have to be afraid of ourselves anymore. Can I do enough? He did with them. He can with you. Uh, You know, am I enough? Yes. Will you allow him to enter into your life? Stop putting up the various reasons for not needing him or not wanting him. I'm chasing after that. I'm chasing after this. I'm not enough. These are all excuses that actually at the end of the day reveal that we're just too afraid to let him be Lord of our lives. Let him be the Lord of your life. That's the first fear that, that, is, that is wiped away with the incarnation. The second. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. The second one is, 
Maybe you're afraid of the dark. And I don't mean just children. Uh, look at the text. This, these are pre-electricity times. When you're outside civilization, there are no lights to turn on. I think too many of us, we've never really sat in real darkness. Because real darkness, you can't turn on a light. Most of us are just one light switch away to, to being in light. But here, they're in complete darkness. And verse 13, there's light. What kind of light was it? It was a blinding light filled with a multitude of hosts. And the biblical word for host in our text means army. So these weren't just comfortable, you know, angels with halos and wings. These were warring angels. And you wonder how many? Some scholars think, well, this was the most important moment in history. This was probably all the angels. Maybe it was millions of angels circling over their heads. And the shepherds were seeing this. It was lighting up the sky. And what happens is, in that moment, the darkness is gone. At some level, I think all of us are afraid of the darkness because we don't know our way out. It's too dark. There's no light switch to turn on. And yet light enters in here. And interestingly, you know what? These shepherds don't get obsessed about the light. They don't sit around going, wow, that was the most supernatural, paranormal thing in my life. Let me talk about it for the rest of my life. No, it says in verse 15, they went into the towns and started telling other people about it. In other words, were they still shepherds? Sure, but their everyday troubles were gone. They're not as worried about shepherding. If you let this light into, into your life, will you still have fears? Sure, but, your every, but it transforms them. Your everyday troubles gets changed and met by it. Why? Go back to, to the overall story of Christmas. The king has come. God is now human. It started in a wood-feeding trough. It ended on a wooden cross. It started uh, as not knowing to, where to have a place to be born. It ended in a place to die. It started in some swaddling cloth. It ended with his clothes being ripped to shreds. In our text, heaven is being lit up by millions of warrior Angels circling and swirling around. The most supernatural occurrence is juxtaposed against an infant baby in the most natural human settings that there are. Smelly animals, um, basic, humble uh, you know, places to live. When it says fear not, why? Because the extraordinary is now in the ordinary. Uh, the supernatural is now in the natural. And when you allow that moment to actually hit you, living in light of that reality means there's no darkness in my life right now that that light can't blow up. See how the light of the world that lights up the entire sky can light up your life. That's what Christmas is about. We have lights on our tree as a remembrance of the light that has entered into the world. It's broken in. And the way for, for that to happen for you is to let Christmas be more than what you're currently allowing it to be. Christmas means hope. It means light and darkness. It means happy endings at the end of our days. It means to pick any fear that you have right now and apply Christmas to it. You lost your job. Christmas light into darkness. I lost my family member. 
Christmas means light into darkness. I lost my money. I've lost. I've lost. Christmas says light into that space. And if you have that activated in your life, it changes everything. Friends, your probably biggest problem right now is your heart's not leaping. It's not weeping. It's not in awe of this. But you, could, you, can, you actually could access it. If the fears are over here and Christmas is over here and you slam them together, let's just end with our last point. How do we live now without fear? Let's get into some practical applications. Our fears can be met by Christmas, light into darkness, but let me just show you how real quickly. If the incarnation's true, if what that means means um, light into darkness, here's what it means. This world matters. This is a really big deal. There's a lot of religions out there that say the point of existence is to leave the world. That matter is bad and uh, the divine is good. Many religions, by the way, a lot of non-religious people uh, basically think this world is just the world and you're just trying to escape it and you're trying to get to a higher cog- you know, consciousness or reality. I think there's actually some Christians that have elevated the supernatural over the natural. And yet the good news that's being given in our text, that the angels use, the good news that the shepherds went and told other people about, the good news that Jesus, when he gets older, starts telling people about, that the disciples start telling people about, that you can tell people about. What is that good news? To be a good news person means that you bring joy. What's that joy? God entered into creation. In Acts 8, which was our uh, uh, text that we used in our vision sermon back in September, it says the original followers of Christianity, what happened was they went out and they brought joy into the city. The reason why is because they went out how? In word and in deed. Why? Because if God became flesh, then part of his salvation agenda wasn't just to save souls, it's to save the body. The body matters. Matter matters. For, for God to come into creation, it means fighting disease, fighting the hurts, fixing the wrong, saving souls. It all matters. Justice matters with evangelism. Lincoln Square has to care about both equally. Christmas means God is coming into the world, becoming physical and actual, which means he cares about it. I don't think it was just random, you know, God saying, who am I going to pick to kind of, uh, you know, be born into creation with. He purposely picked, um, he purposely picked, uh, what's it called, the, uh, Mary. Who's Mary, right? Uh, a, a, a girl who was out of wedlock and, and yet nobody believed her. He said, I'm going to come to this person. I'm going to come be a carpenter. Jesus was a carpenter. He, these were normal, everyday trades, but why did he do it? Because he's saying by doing it, he cares about the systems and the people. He cares about the poor and the oppressed, as well as the rich and the powerful. He cares about them. And by becoming embodied, what he was basically trying to say is, I care about the body and the soul. Please don't elevate one over the other. The church traditionally has done one or the other. They only care about deeds or they only care about the word and you have to care about the word and the deed because God is both fully man, human, bodily, fully God. 
Will you bring joy into the city? Will you be part of this process to care about individuals in society? My worry for most New Yorkers is I think we think the ultimate goal for humans is to find is to thrive. How do we thrive? By being comfortable, by providing for our family. Unfortunately, that vision is too small. The purpose of salvation is not to escape the world. It's not to escape your hurts and live a comfortable life somewhere so that you can thrive. Sorry, the point of salvation is the redemption and restoration of all the world. And the question is, is how are you going to be part of that? How are you going to actually help bring that thriving to the world? Revelation is not, you don't see the end of time people just leaving and going off into bodily spaces and they're out of, they're out of this world. No, you, you see, you see the, the, the city of God coming down into earth. At the end of time, renewing and fixing everything. And therefore, we should put ourselves in spaces where we can fix things too. Right now, I think that's cities, New York City even. You can't be part of healing unless you're in places that need the healing. And I think this is a place where, you can, where it needs the healing. And so ask yourself today, are you good newsing people? Where are you good newsing? Yes, it needs to be everywhere, but we should go into the spaces that need it the most. If God himself came and was incarnate, I guess we, I guess we should ask ourselves, where are you incarnating? Where are you embodying? Where are you being present and active? I know this is incredibly hard to do in a, a pandemic, virtually, but that's what it means to, to be good news in people, bringing joy to the city. I hope all people come to believe this, but we know that even if they don't, we can still bring them joy. That is the ultimate mission of Redeemer Lincoln Square, to, be joy, to bring joy to the city, to be an active presence here. If we did not exist, we, we, the, 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 we should, what should happen is, is people should say, man, because Lincoln Square is not here, the world is a worse place. That's how we'll know that we are actually active and, and for our city. Christmas at, is asking yourself the same goal as he does for creation. Okay, last point. If we no longer have this fear, let me just apply it real quick to our wounds. Um, I think there's a lot of us hurting right now. I think a lot of us that are at our wit's end. And I think a lot of us don't even know where, how to even express these things. But let, let's, let's play out a scenario. What if you sat down and you poured out yourself uh, to a friend and with all the details uh, about what's gone on maybe in the past eight months? You talked about your hurts. You talked about your, your fears. What if that person said to you after you were done pouring out your heart, what if they said, yeah, it really stinks for you. It's too bad. I, I don't know how to help you at all. Uh, I don't even, I don't, I can't resonate with any of that. None of that's my problem. But here's how to live your life. How would you respond if somebody said that to you? Probably pretty, pretty negatively. There's a book about um, a father who lost not one, not two, but three sons. And so he had three funerals. And what was terrible is people kept coming up to him, giving him platitudes. Uh, um, and yet, that's that he couldn't wait to be away from those people because they didn't get his grief. They, didn't, he, they couldn't enter into it. And that's always awful when you pour out your heart and somebody just 
has no idea what you're going through. But let's reverse the scenario. What if you poured out your heart to somebody and the person, after you, you do so, says, you, says to you, I've been through that very same thing. I know exactly how you feel. In fact, let me tell you even better than you can say to yourself how you're feeling right now. And then they go on and describe better than you could describe what you're going through. If somebody says that, you're going to say, tell me more. I want to know more. And what if what you hear is, I'm going through it with, for you and with you right now. In fact, I did it for you. In fact, it would be much, much worse if I hadn't gone through it for you. If you had a friend like that, guess what? Your wounds, they wouldn't go away. They'd still be there. But you would categorically look at them differently. You'd still be hurting, but you know what? You would know that he's been through it first, that they have actually helped you understand it better, that they have actually even lessened the blow. That is what you have in Jesus. I think all of us could list some parts of the dark nights of our souls right now. Personally, if I went into my own story, I've cried more in the past couple months than I've had for years combined. Um... Usually I'm the person who sits with people who are hurting. And, you know, my job literally is to weep with those who weep. And that's how I entered into suffering. But that changed this summer when I realized, whoa, I actually, I thought I knew what depression was because I've sat with depressed people. But now, you know, the depression, the grief, the numbness, it overwhelmed me. What the incarnation is saying to us is, unlike any other religion, God has said, I've been there first. I've been through exactly what you've been through. And I've entered the darkness with you. You feel misunderstood. You feel lonely. You feel forgotten. You feel battered or beaten up. You wonder how much longer. So has he. You say, you don't understand, Mike. You don't understand. I pray every day for this prayer to happen and it never gets answered guess what Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane prayed let this cup pass and it wasn't answered he's been through it first you say no 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 Mike you don't understand nobody understands me guess what all of Jesus' friends didn't understand him nobody around him understood him his parents didn't understand him nobody got him you say no 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 you don't understand how lonely I feel you think you You don't think Jesus was lonely? You don't think he felt forgotten? You don't think he felt all these things? He's been through it. Apply Christmas to your wounds. And what you'll see is Jesus is with us. And if you did, um, you would be able to really understand what C.S. Lewis was getting at in that quote when he says, If we let him, he will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into dazzling, radiant, immortal creatures pulsating all throughout with such energy and joy and wisdom and love that even now we can't imagine. A bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly and delight in goodness. That is what we're in for, nothing less. That's what Christmas is pointing us to. Christmas is the beginning of this. It's the end of fear. Take your fears. Process them through Christmas. Let them be blown up. 
by what is being offered, light into darkness. He's present with us. This world matters because heaven has come to earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a, a good word. It's still hard. Um, we're probably what's amazing about the pandemic is everybody's in so many different places. Some are great, some are not, somewhere's in between. I pray you let us not just see Christmas as another rote ho hum holiday. This is the beginning of the end by you entering into creation. It's the festival of lights because you've brought light into darkness. Um, Father, it's very difficult for, for Lincoln Square, for all the staff to minister to uh, people remotely as we do our even our worship online right now. Teach us a presence, an ability to wait on you. There's so much waiting that we read in the Bible and in the Psalms with David. and Give us that ability to wait on you, Father. Um, you've been through it first. And that gives us all the power we need. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.